chapter 12. That's where we're going to be together in just a moment. I want to just say, if you're a guest this morning, we're really grateful that you're here with us. And uh, we have a uh, hope that you've enjoyed your time in worship and that you'll be encouraged as we study God's Word together this morning. Uh, I want to just acknowledge this morning a thank you, a word of thanks to everyone who brought uh, groceries for the center uh, for the Thanksgiving food baskets that will be prepared. Uh, we committed as a church to bring uh, a f- at least 50 bags of food, and I haven't counted, but I'm guessing uh, that we're there, and so I appreciate you uh, and your, your, your generosity in that way. We're going to be delivering these to Calvary Baptist Church, where the, uh, the collection from every church in town that's participating in the Thanksgiving basket drive uh, everybody's taking their groceries there, then the baskets will be put together uh, t- tomorrow. And so if you're interested in helping the, deliver these, they're gonna, it's going to be this afternoon. The church building is going to be open from like 3.30 to 4.30. So you can find Chris or myself, and we can help coordinate uh, you helping get that done. So let us know. <coughs> uh, this morning, I want to start with uh, a word of prayer, if you would. Just uh, bow with me. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 12 again, but I want to I want to pray before we go there, so let's pray together. Father, we're grateful today for your goodness and your generosity and love toward us. We're grateful for the ways that uh, we've been reminded of that already as we uh, fix our eyes on you, as we see our world through uh, the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. We pray that you will stir up in us a desire to live in the same way, live generously toward others, to love well and to give uh, our lives and our resources uh, to your kingdom. We pray now, God, that you'll be with us as we study together. And we pray that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you want us to see and hear. And we pray in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. So we're in the middle of a, a short series, three-week series on money. Uh, if you missed last week's sermon, I would encourage you to go to our website or to find it on a podcast somehow and to listen to that so you can kind of know the direction that we're going. But one of the things I want to mention that I mentioned last week was that in my uh, seven years here in Kaufman, I have never preached on a series on money. We've talked about money some around Mission Sunday, but never talked about it in kind of an extensive way. And so uh, that's part of the reason for this. Uh, one time, I had some hesitation about that, and I, and I referenced that last week, and several of you came up to me and said, Doug, don't have any hesitation about preaching about money, and I want you to know I was, I'm, I'm good now. I'm not afraid to preach about it now. I was just saying that I used to be a little bit hesitant to preach about it, uh, and, and the reason I'm good is honestly because I want to talk about things that Jesus talks about, and, and as I said last week, Jesus talks about money more than any other subject outside of the kingdom of God. The second most discussed topic by Jesus is money in some way or another. And so, uh, and I realize now that I, I don't think that I or we can help someone grow in their relationship with Christ unless we are willing to talk about the thing that often becomes the primary roadblock in the, our development as a follower of Jesus Christ, and that's money. And so I want to I just acknowledge that this morning. Jesus believed our money would be a roadblock for some of us. This is what he says just a couple of chapters after where we're going to look this morning in Luke chapter 16. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted 
to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus knew that our money would be a key battleground for our hearts. That's what he's saying right there. That, that there is a battle going on and that money becomes an idol for us and takes the place on the throne of our hearts that Jesus alone should occupy. And our hearts will follow our money and Jesus is interested in our hearts, which is really the primary thing that I talked about last week. Money matters. It matters in life. It matters to God. So this morning we're going to explore one teaching of, of Jesus about money. But before we look in Luke chapter 12, I want to ask you, Uh, A question. I want to ask you this morning to consider why are you rich? Why are you rich? Your initial reaction to that question might be, well, I know rich people, Doug, and I'm not one of them, right? You might even feel pressure today as you come here in your finances, and you might be thinking about that, you know, that means because I feel pressure in my finances, that means that I'm not rich. But pressure in our finances is not an indicator of our wealth. Feeling like that we aren't rich is not an indicator of our wealth. Anybody that asks the question today, where will I eat? Or when will I eat? Instead of will I eat at all is rich. If you have access right now to more than a day's wages, you would be rich in our day and in Jesus' day. And, and if we define rich as anyone who has more than me, we have the wrong definition, which is the typical definition of rich, right? I'm not rich. I know rich people, and I'm not one of them. But if we define rich that way, we have the wrong definition because according to the Bible, 99% of us, maybe more of us, are rich. So why are we rich? That's the question I want you to consider this morning. Why are we rich? Because this is not a question that culture asks you. Culture asks you, why don't you have more? Why is theirs nicer than mine? Culture encourages you to constantly get the newest, latest, greatest, shiniest thing, right? And what happens as we get the newest, latest, greatest, shiniest thing is that we then begin to compare our new great shiny thing to everybody else's new great shiny thing, and then we're disappointed about how ours isn't quite new enough, quite great enough, quite shiny enough. Have you seen their TV? Have you seen their house, their car, their fill-in-the-blank, right? I know Rich, and I'm not one of those people. And what gets created in that world of, that, of our culture is a culture of disappointment, quite honestly, because we're never, we never have enough. We never can have the best stuff or the brightest stuff or the shiniest stuff. Nobody is really ever satisfied. Nobody's ever really content with what they have in life. So today I want us to ask and acknowledge we're asking a different question. Why are we rich? Why do you have what you have? I think into this question Jesus speaks in Luke chapter 12. I'm going to begin in verse 13. I'm going to kind of read a little bit at a time, explaining and discussing it as we go. I want to read the first couple of verses of Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. Someone in the crowd, there's been a large crowd that's gathered, about many thousands at the beginning of Luke 12, Jesus says, uh, Luke says. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then Jesus said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus is teaching thousands. And someone recognizing Jesus as a rabbi shouts from the crowd, Tell my brother to give me my part of the inheritance that my father left for both of us. And Jesus says, he says he wants Jesus to arbitrate, to decide, to make a, a, a ruling, right? Which rabbis would have had the right to do, the ability to do. And so they recognize Jesus as a teacher. But Jesus sees through it and knows that that's not really what the man wants. And Jesus says, I'm not going to get caught up in your greed dilemma. Jesus knows the issue here for both brothers, really. The one who speaks and the one who he speaks for is greed. One thinking the money is his to keep and the other that th- thinking that if he gets the money that he's due, that his life will be better off somehow. So Jesus issues a warning and says, guard your hearts. Right? That's, that's, that's the language that I just talked about a minute ago. Recognize that there is only one throne of your heart and lots of things want to try to sit on that throne and money is among the greatest of those things and so jesus says guard your heart because there's only one thing that can sit on the throne and i want that to be me so guard your hearts against all kinds of greed life does not consist in an abundance of possessions jesus challenges the dominant culture of their day and the dominant culture of our day which is by accumulate, collect, hoard, store up for yourselves, right? Chase money. The dominant message of culture says that your life does consist in the abundance of your possessions. And culture says in a thousand ways, the more you have, the better off you are. And then Jesus tells them a story which I think answers the question why am I rich? This image is a painting uh, that, that portrays this story, and I wanted to have it up while we listen to this story. I'm going to pick up in verse 16. Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And this rich man thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Sound familiar, doesn't it? Like, like Jesus is telling a story in 2018. A certain person made lots of money and had the ability to buy lots of stuff. So they bought the stuff and they filled their house. And then their house was so full that they had to build a bigger house. Right? It's easier to see the greed in this man's life than in my own life, in our own lives. I mean, we may not build barns, we might, but we certainly fill our closets. And when our closets are full... We fill our garages. And when our garages are full, we build an outbuilding. And then we fill it, right? Or we rent a storage building and we fill it. 
And we name that smart. We name it being wise. We, we say we're being resourceful. We don't want to buy two things. We don't want to, you know, get rid of something and then turn out later we needed it. And that may be the case sometimes. I'm not going to overdo it here this morning. But there's a part of this story that is about identity. And I think the same is true for us, that as we think about our stuff, right, is our identity wrapped up in the possessions that we have? A car, a house, the stuff that fills the house, the property, the land, whatever it may be. This man's identity is clearly wrapped up in his stuff, in his possessions. He thought his life was about his stuff. I don't know if you heard him or not, right? Did you hear the the way that he spoke, how he was talking? I have no place to store my crops, so I'll tear down my barns and build myself bigger barns. There I will store my surplus, my extra, right? His goal is to withdraw and relax with little to no interest in anyone else around him, which is the definition of greed, right? Greed is the belief that abundant wealth equals abundant life at the expense of everybody else around you. The pursuit of better living through having more stuff and accumulating more stuff. Look again at what the man said in verse 19. He says, you have plenty of grain stored up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. See, here's what he thought. He thought to himself, I have X amount of wealth, right? Therefore, I must be going to live X number of years, right? I'm secure. I have abundant wealth, and therefore I must have abundant life. His future was all about this world and how this time was going to be spent, this side of eternity, instead of a future world, a future time and the world to come. Instead of participating with God in bringing heaven to earth, he circled the wagons and held everything for himself. His problem wasn't that he was rich, right? There are, there are examples in Scripture where we see that there's not actually something wrong with having lots of money or having wealth which all of us have, as I started to say in the beginning, just so you don't forget that and start thinking this sermon's for somebody else. It's, all, it's for all of us. And the problem wasn't that he was rich, that he had an, more than an extra day's wages, that he knew that he was going to eat every meal today, right? The problem was that he didn't know why he was rich, which is why I want you and me to consider that question this morning. Why are we rich? Here's what happened next. In verse 20, Jesus says, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. After acquiring and planning and building, the man dies and his story is over. And it ends with a question. Who will get all of your stuff? And and that's not a rhetorical question, right? That question has a real answer. And the answer is the same for us as it is for this man. Someone else will get your stuff. Even if you think you know who's going to get it, you can't be sure because you're going to be gone. 
right? There's an old bumper sticker that I saw years and years ago. He who dies with the most toys still dies, right? And it's a play off of another bumper sticker that said, he who dies with the most toys wins, which is the message of the dominant message of our culture. But the reality is, he who dies with the most toys, they might win on this side of death, but they're dying too. Someone else will get all of his things, not because he was generous, but because he's dead. But the bad thing about the story isn't that he died, right? We all will die. The problem is that he never really lived. He never really lived. This man is a fool because he acted foolishly. Let's understand why he is called a fool in this story. His actions display that he is a fool. His actions, storing up, living selfishly, are a denial of the brevity of life, that our lives are a mist. And Jesus wants these brothers that have come to him with this dispute, wants us to have an awareness of the brevity of this life so that we don't make the same mistake. The man thought his life was about him, and Jesus challenges him. You thought, you, you thought your wealth was about you. You thought your wealth was about this life. You took care of yourself first, and now you're going to die. See, greed made the man's life a total loss. Greed made this man's life a total... He made, he made, really, he made it in his, in his death, his life then became a loss because he didn't live to the full, right? We believe Jesus came to give us life and to the full, and part of what that involves is how we live on this side of death. And this morning, I want to encourage us with all of the love and humility that I can to not allow money, the love of money, the pursuit of money, the pursuit of stuff, our attitudes toward money, to make our lives a loss because we never really lived. Because we hoarded and collected and stored up and we forgot other people along the way. And I'm not just talking again to the people that we think have more money than us. I'm talking to all of us. Everything is a gift from God. And the prescription for greed is generosity. The only way, the only remedy for my greed is to be generous. This is the pill that you take, right, to, in, to cure ourselves of greed is generosity. And when God gives you more than you need, you help those in need. If you have more than you need, you can help others who are in need. That's what being rich toward God, this last few words, he stored up things for himself but is not rich toward God. That's what being rich toward God looks like. And this, I think, is one of the reasons that the church exists, because I need you. Left to my own, I will be greedy. That is a default behavior that I will acknowledge for both of us. Right? Because that's, we're just, that's how we're wired. We're broken and sinful, and we are going to huddle up and secure and take care of ourselves, and there's nothing wrong with taking care of you and your family first. I'm saying that if we do that to the neglect of everything else, then we've missed part of the point. The church exists to bless the world, to be Christ in the flesh. But unfortunately, we do not always look that different. Now, I, I, I love uh, chocolate chip cookies. If, if I had, um, if for some crazy reason, heaven forbid this ever happens, if for some crazy reason there was a law that was passed today 
that you could only have one kind of dessert for the rest of your life. And you had to choose. Like, you, it mattered, right? You had to choose. It would not be a hard decision for me. Chocolate chip cookies would be the decision, right? Some of you might choose ice cream or a cake or something else or pie. For me, it would be chocolate chip cookies. Like, that's, I, I like, so I want, the, this is a crowd participation time and part of the sermon. I actually want, with your hand, to show me who else likes chocolate chip cookies. You don't have to like them as much as I do, but actually put your hand in the air. Who else likes chocolate chip cookies? The rest of you, we're going to be praying for you. We hope, keep your hands in the air for just a second. Keep your hands in the air for just a second. Okay, I, I need um, a couple of uh, helpers. So um, Colin, Aaron, Hadley, Hudson, uh, Emma. Would you come up here, Emma Cox, please? I, I, need, I need the rest of you to just, uh, y'all hang tight for just a second. I'm, I'm going to have these students come up here with me. It just so happens that... Um, I love chocolate chip cookies so much. One of the reasons is because we have a, a great family recipe. Y'all can step up here on the stage with me. And um, Allie, my oldest daughter, makes the, makes the best chocolate chip cookies. And she baked these fresh this morning. And, um, and I love chocolate chip cookies, and so I just thought, you know, I would bring these and show them to you. <laughs> and I've never thought, I've wondered before, and by the way, this is always a dangerous thing to work. I'm kind of working with like live animals up here right now. <laughs> I never preached and eaten chocolate chip cookies at the same time, but I could kind of get used to this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. Um, so I was uh, in just wanting wanting to wanting to bring these cookies. Now, do these cookies look good to y'all? Would you like one? So <laughs> so here's the deal. They are really tasty. I, I don't know what, if maybe some of you guys have some ideas. What I think is we're going to pray that God provide some cookies for these kids. So if y'all would, just pray with me real quickly. <laughs> Let's pray. God, these kids are your servants. They love you, and they really like chocolate chip cookies. And I just pray that you would provide chocolate chip cookies for them. In Jesus' name, amen. So... Do you have a cookie yet? I don't know what happened. I prayed for it. I prayed for the cookie to show up. If only somebody had some cookies that could be shared. What does this bother you? What 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 would you suggest that should be done in this situation? Share. Now, it would be a Christ-like thing to do. <coughs> And it would really ruin the sermon if I didn't do it. So, because I want to be Christ-like and I, won't want to, I don't want to run the sermon, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share. So here, what I want you all to do, you all take these and go sit over here. You all will not hear anything else for the rest of the sermon. I'll give them to the girls because I don't trust the boys as much. <laughs> you all go sit over here together and you can share those the rest of the sermon. I don't expect you to hear anything else after this part of the sermon. Now, here's, here's the thing. Here's the catch with that. We know... When it comes to our kids, right, that sharing is something that we should do. We, we tell our kids this from a young age. Share your toys, share your cookies, right, whatever it is. But it somehow along the way, like when it stops being cookies and toys, when our stuff gets more sophisticated, when our money gets, or the amounts of our money get larger, and we get older, it gets a little bit harder and share 
and give and live generously is a principle that we know, but we forget, right? And this principle comes straight from Scripture. Two places I want to just look at. You don't have to turn to them. They're both going to be up here on the wall. Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist out in the wilderness says to people, the people ask, what should we do, right? And John says, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. In Luke three eleven, those words are spoken. And then Jesus follows this up in many places, but in one, one of them is in Matthew 5, where Jesus says quite simply, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, I've had lots of discussions with people about this verse over the years, and and we always want to say, yeah, but, to this verse. Yeah, but, Doug, I know Jesus says, which is just a bad way to follow up a statement from Jesus, right? Because you know you're about to try to let yourself off the hook. Give to the one who asks. He doesn't say give to the one who asks when they get their life straightened out, when they get sober, when they get it all figured out, right? Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one that wants to borrow you. Why in the world would Jesus say something like this? I think it's because he wants us to live with a posture that is open-handed with our stuff. And if we live with a willingness to give it away any time we're asked for it, then it will be clear to us and God and the world who sits on the thrones of our hearts. Give to the one who asks, and do not turn away from the one that wants to borrow from you. Culture wants you and, and me. I should have brought some milk up here with me. I have water in this cup, so. Culture wants you and me to have more, and to think that having more is the goal. But if you're a follower of Jesus, the, the truth is, church, we don't really have a choice. When we were baptized into Christ, our wallets were baptized too. And that is a truth that you and I have to wrestle with and have to consider and take seriously. And if I give at least 10%, which I talked about more extensively last week and I'm not going to get into this week, but if, if, I, if you start there, right, I'm going to give at least 10% to the Lord. That means that's 10% of your income that you don't have to spend. And I have found, and Lana and I have found, as we have done that, what it will mean is that our lifestyle is not, will not be the same as your financial peers because you will be living at a different level of spending income. And you'll also be able, we will also be able to live into Matthew 5 more fully. Right? Generosity, I don't, I don't think generosity is generosity until it affects our lifestyle. And when we can give all we want, I mean, this is incredible. And I don't want to miss the opportunity to say this is a generous thing that all, many of you were brought groceries this morning and people will be fed for Thanksgiving because of this gift. We can give little bits at a time and that doesn't make us generous. Generosity, being rich toward God, realigns our priorities, realigns our habits, realigns the way that we spend our money. And if we don't think this way, we may not ever see that we have more than we need, right? Because every time we have more than we need, we'll just spend it. We'll never see that we have more and that we have more in order to give away more. And here's the thing. 
we, we know this, right? Ray reminded us of this just a few minutes ago as we gathered around the table. God went first in this way. We can be rich toward God because he was rich toward us first. God modeled generosity for us. It cost something. It cost God something to send Christ into the world and to be generous toward us. And our response is to let it cost us something to follow Jesus too. It doesn't actually make logical sense. If you were just explaining this idea to someone that did not, was not a Christian, it would not make sense to them. But it makes kingdom sense. It makes sense for people who say, Jesus is my Lord. This is what it means for Jesus to be Lord and not just our Savior, right? He saved us from our sins, but if he's Lord, then he's Lord over all of us, all of our life, all of our stuff, all of our decisions, all of our money, our time, how we think about marriage and family, everything, right? It's all there. That's what it means to be baptized into Christ. And my challenge is, my hope is that this week, maybe a practical step is that we all go and reevaluate our spending and our giving habits, that we'll think about ways we can give so that it costs us a little something, that we'll give with a plan in mind and not just whatever I happen to have in my pocket, though we need to live with that posture too. And I, and I think that the end result will be peace about our finances, that we'll know that we have money in the first place and why we have it, and that you'll experience what it means to really live so that at the end of our story, that our story is different than the guy in Luke chapter 12. May we share generously. May we love well. And may by God's grace, it cost us something along the way. Let's pray together. God, I pray this morning that you will help us guard our hearts against greed. That you'll help us to know what our lives are truly about. That you'll realign our priorities and our desires so that you alone occupy the throne of our hearts. We ask, God, this morning that you will help us to live open-handed, to be willing to give and to give well, to love deeply. And we're going to need your help in this way, God, because we, left to ourselves, and we're just, we're just selfish. And we're prone to kind of circle in and, and, and kind of think about our own agendas. And so I pray you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear and the awareness of how you're, you're at work in the world so that we can be a part of those things. And we pray this in the all-powerful name of Jesus Christ. And the church said, now this morning, um, I'm going to do something that I've never done in a sermon. And uh, a couple weeks ago, a neighbor of ours uh, named Mary came by the church office and we were able to help her a little bit. And this morning, Mary Fletcher came back to church and I was visiting with Mary in the foyer and as Mary was telling me her story today, I was smiling. I don't know if you noticed, Mary, that I was smiling. And I was smiling because I was laughing inside at, at God, really. I've been working on preparing this sermon 
And God provides an opportunity to go, okay, Doug, let's see if you'll literally put your money where your mouth is. And uh, my friend and our neighbor, Mary Fletcher, who's sitting back at the back, uh, needs $595 to get ahead because she's behind on some rent. And if you want to help with that this morning, I realize a response to this sermon, it could look a thousand ways, but that's one, that's one way it can look, and you can find Merle, and you can let uh, that gift be given to Merle, uh, and then we'll get Mary the help that she needs. But I realize that that, that would be a step, and I know, that I know it's going to happen already because I know you guys, and I know the kind of people that you are. Um, but I also don't want us to forget in the process, uh, the challenge that I issued at the end as we think about what does it mean for our money to matter in a different way and for our money to matter on this side of death and not just for us, but for the world around us. This church is incredibly generous, and so this series is not even about that. It's not about the fact that you're not generous already. It's just about us asking again, how, God, can we lean in in a deeper way to who you want us to be and what you're calling us to be in this city, in this county, and in this world? And so it may be that you respond in another way, personally, as you think about your own life this morning, or it may be that you decide that you want to help Mary, or it may be... I'm also thinking about my sister, Kelly Sue, who sent me a message this week and said, Doug, I just need people to pray with me. I, my hours keep getting get cut back at work. I only have 25 hours a week, and I can't really make it with 25, 25 hours. And that may be a situation where we, we actually believe that God can re rearrange that situation to provide Kelly Sue the hours that she needs. And so some of you may want to go and pray with her. I don't know how you will respond this morning, but I know the invitation, the invitation is to respond to God in whatever way you feel compelled to do so. And I pray that you'll do that as we sing this next song together. Let's stand. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me ever to adore Thee. May I still Thy goodness prove. While the hope of endless glory fills my heart with joy and love, I was lost in utter darkness Till you came and rescued me, I was <coughs> Your love came and set me free. Now my soul can sing a new song. Now my heart has found a home. Now your grace is always with me, and I'll never be alone. Come thou found, come thou king, come thou precious prince of peace. Hear your bride, to you we sing. Come thou found, 
of our blessing. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Never let me wander from thee, never leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Come thou fount, come thou king, Come, thou precious Prince of Peace, hear your bride to you we sing. Come, thou found of I. <clears throat> come, thou found, come, thou King, come, thou precious Prince of Peace. Hear your bride, to you we sing. Come, thou fount of our blessing. Thank you, Doug, for that sermon. I, I want you to know that I realized at some point in time there was a plate of chocolate.